let's say it's Monday. You're geared up. You have a routine. You've gotten everything ready. You go into your routine. Every minute of your day is prescribed by what you have to do that day for your company. And then Tuesday, you're not there. From Smashing the Plateau, I'm David Schreiner-Kahn with Going Solo. In this show, we discuss building your own successful business after a long career as an employed professional. Today on episode 124 of Going Solo, I'm speaking with author Robin Merrill. Robin had a long career as a high-achieving executive. When she was let go from a position, Robin was blindsided. As a result of her experience, she decided to interview other high-powered women and write her book, Involuntary Exit. If you want to learn the best way to handle a termination from a high-level position, you'll want to listen to my conversation with Robin. Stay with us to hear all the details. When you've suddenly left your job, having a new routine that can support your life as a consultant is critical to your success. Being a member of a community that has a built-in routine can be very helpful. Inside the Smashing the Plateau community, you'll find activities and events that happen consistently and frequently. You'll also have access to a range of tools and resources to support your business, access to experts, answers to your burning questions, and the camaraderie of supportive, collaborative colleagues. Check out the Smashing the Plateau community so that you can build a successful consulting business on your own terms, doing what you love and getting paid what you're worth. Learn more at smashingtheplateau.com community. That's smashingtheplateau.com community. Now let's welcome Robin Merrill. Robin has been a senior executive for billion-dollar nonprofit organizations. She's raised more than a half billion dollars in philanthropy during her nearly 40 years in the field. Robin has been vice chair of National Philanthropy Day in New York three times, served on multiple nonprofit boards, and was named Woman of Achievement in 2017 by Women in Development New York. She recently voluntarily left her last executive-level position at a major university to promote her new book, Involuntary Exit, and expand her nonprofit consulting business. Robin, welcome to the show. Thank you, David. I'm delighted to be here. Robin, what prompted you to write the book, Involuntary Exit? Well, I have had a long and very successful career, as you pointed out, in the nonprofit world. And I was used to being what I call in my book an A-plus overachieving loyalist who worked very hard for organizations for long periods of time. And when I was let go, I didn't see it coming. I was totally blindsided. And like for many of the women who I interviewed in the book, it was not about performance it, there were plenty of accolades and bonuses and promotions. So when this involuntary exit occurred, it was a shock and a surprise. And I felt it was important to help others after I found out that this was more common than I thought to get through definitely the, the first 12 hours of this kind of news, but to get through the emotional arc of how they were feeling when this happened and how they could get back on their feet and really understand 
what they wanted to do on their own terms from this point forward. So there was no manual for this kind of experience, and I wanted to write one. Yeah, and I have to say, I have not seen a book that covers both how prevalent involuntary exits are, and in particular, the emotional side of what happens to the person who is exiting. Yeah, I mean, you have to understand that a lot of the the women, like myself, were in senior positions. And so we're used to positions of authority, that we're in control, we can make our own decisions, people come to us to help them. And so when when this happens, the emotional fallout is something that we're not used to at all. And all we may try, at least a lot of the women that I spoke with, try to apply the same sort of corporate behavior to their own personal behavior. So they would question each step forward. Well, what if I go out and I go to a reception? What is the business card I use? How do I how do I present myself? What title do I use? And then it comes down to uh, the real kicker that for the past umpteen years, your identity has been intertwined with your role at the company. Therefore, who are you? What is your purpose without that role, without that company? And so that that takes you on a new ride. I call it a roller coaster ride because there are lots of ups and downs, but it's really very positive in the end because you get to really think about what your strengths are, what your passions are, create your what I call your own portfolio of passions, and learn how you can be resilient in the face of this kind of career challenge. And I do believe resilience can be learned. Mm. Robin, what did you call yourself when you were in that position? What did I call myself? I I don't believe, I think I just presented myself as somebody who was looking for their second chapter. As So when I started out to look for what I wanted to, to do next, I talked to one person who introduced me to another person who introduced me to another person. And honestly, David, I went into some of these meetings without really knowing very much about what I could expect. I just, in fundraising, I always talk to a lot of people and I always enjoy it. Intellectual curiosity is one of the things that got me into fundraising. So I didn't actually go in with a label in a way that I was going to present myself. I was usually introduced as, oh, Robin used to work at X and she wants to to figure out if she's interested in an area that you know well. Will you have a meeting with her for whatever reason, usually their relationship with the other person? And they said yes. And I remember having some of the most fun conversations with people I would never have met was I looking for a job? No. Were they necessarily going to give me a job? No. But they were going to be somebody who could validate my value and who could who could say, well, you know, I think you really ought to talk to X, Y, Z. And as soon as you're put forward to somebody else, you know that you've resonated and that you, you're on a path to discovering how you can add meaning somewhere to somebody's life. What I say in the book is as long as I got one meaningful piece of information out of any conversation, I considered it a success. I didn't have a checklist. I just went in there saying, all right, I'm going to meet with David 
Shriner Khan. I'm going to figure out why he does what he does. And when he tells me that, it's going to give me an idea about what I could do. And isn't this great that he started this program? Why did he start this program? And so on and so on. And it really is um, lifts you up and boosts you out of where you are, especially if you're in a rut thinking I can only define myself in a very specific way, the way my former title described myself. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Robin, how did you learn that involuntary exit is much more prevalent than many people think? Well, again, it started with one conversation. I spoke to somebody and they said, well, this happened to me. I said, really? And they said, yes, it did. How about if we share a glass of wine? So we shared a glass of wine and the story poured out. And then you should talk to ex, you know, to my friend, Roberta. Okay, I'd love to talk to Roberta. And each time I called these women, it was as if no one had asked them this question before. What happened? How did you feel? What did you do? And it just kept rolling, rolling forward. And along the way, I also did some research. And I've looked back at Fortune and Forbes and all the business magazines, and people start to send me articles. And in one of them, I was shocked because it said that women CEOs were 45% more likely to be fired than male CEOs, particularly when business was going well. It was counterintuitive. Mm -hmm. I've seen that article. <laughs> yeah, because they said they didn't think the woman had whatever the skill set was to continue the success. And articles like that, and also I believe, actually, David, you sent me an article from ProPublica, which talked about ageism mainly and people being forced out when they hit 50. And it, was, it wasn't just women, it was men and women. And it was, it was um, revelatory to say, oh my gosh, uh, not only am I experiencing it firsthand, it's in the uh, research I read, and it's in past articles where companies are saying, yes, I, I, they really wanted to change their workforce, and this is what they did. Yeah. Robin, in your book, you write that the first 24 hours after being fired may be the most difficult. Why? Right. Because suddenly, okay, let's say it's Monday. It's Monday. You're geared up. You have a routine, you've gotten everything ready, you go into your routine, every minute of your day is proscribed by what you have to do that day for your company, and then Tuesday you're not there. What do you do Tuesday morning? You wake up and you look around and you say, well, I'm not getting on the, the train, the plane, the boat, the car. I'm here. And all of the, I'd say the emptiness and the anger, paranoia. They just walk through the door and say, hi, how you doing? Let's have a conversation today. Are you worried about what people are saying about you? You know, are you really angry about what happened here? And you start to, you start to churn and you figure out, well, wait a minute, you know, I'm here, I'm here sitting at my breakfast table and I know I can picture my colleagues sitting at their keyboard, sending emails. What do you think happened? Where is she? You know, Blah, 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 blah. And then certain things start to trickle in. Colleagues will email email the person who's no longer there. And then you get really paranoid. Well, what do they want from me? What am I supposed to say? How do I answer these things? And it just sort of, it, it sort of multiplies. You can, it's completely dissonant from where you were 24 hours ago or a week ago to where you are now. And unlike in, let's say, a, a company where you 
you create a strategic plan six months in advance and you know exactly what you're doing. You didn't create anything in advance. You're just suddenly, suddenly left without your guideposts and who you are and everybody that you want to call is working. <laughs> so it's, it's, it, you're, it, you're just taken aback and saying, well, how, how do I handle this? What, what can I do? What can I do for myself? It's a dark time. And what suggestions do you have for somebody to deal with the emptiness and the paranoia? And I would imagine there's probably also some shame and some grief and and maybe some trauma mixed in. What suggestions do you have for folks like that who were, you know, high achievers? As you said, their their time was totally prescribed, whether it was, mm-hmm. you know, primarily by the structure of the organization or you know, for high achieving executives, they create their own structures within the the sort of the framework of the organization, but their calendars are are very full. There's no space in the calendar. Their inboxes are always full. People mm-hmm. always need them. And all of a sudden, nobody needs you and your time is not prescribed. And there's this, there are all these emotions going on. What what do you advise? Right. It's it's quite a bully base. And I know that I believe I quote her in my book, Joan Rivers' worst nightmare was having an empty calendar. And, you know, for, for leaders who have had calendars that are just filled to the brim, it's a, it's a tough time. And, and as you said, shame, and I talk about this, plays a large role in it, and it keeps us quiet because we don't want to talk about it. We don't know how to talk about it. So there's no one, how can I put it, no one antidote for everybody that helps everybody. I would tell people, you know, you have to make sure you get up out of your chair and you walk around and you physically remember who you are and you physically re-energize yourself. And then I think it is very important to reach out to somebody who you can talk to, interrupt them, call them. This isn't the time to, to sit on ceremony. Oh, I'll just wait, call them and talk to them because talking is a great way to process what's happening to you, just like we're talking now, and call them frequently. Call different people. I say it's very important to have different people for different things because everyone's going to tell you different different sagas or different stories. And if you call somebody and they start getting worried about themselves because when people are fired, it seems to they feel like it's contagious. Didn't you see it coming? Oh my gosh, it's gonna happen to me. Don't spend a long time on that call. But the people that know you, and as I say, who will not add drama to your trauma are the ones you want to reach out to. And for me and for others, those people just popped into our heads. There's a story in the book about one woman who after 23 years, she was called into her boss's office and he said, thank you very much for what you've done for our company. Today is your last day. And she was just devastated She got in her car and she pulled off. She drove to a field, pulled over. And as she said, she bawled her eyes out. She said, I was lost. What just happened to me? And she's told me, and she may have told him since, but to that day, she had not told her husband that she had been let go because he would be so enraged. And she was having her own problems, handling her own rage and shame. So she called her mom. And her mom just said, I'm so sorry, and was able to take the heat down on what had happened to her. So I do think it's important to reach out 
and to think carefully about who you reach out to. Robin, are there stages of grief that you need to go through when you've been fired? Yes, because it's a loss like any other loss. And if you've been, you know, a senior executive, uh, you spend a whole lot of time at that company and you have lots of relationships. And, you know, when you end any relationship, it's a loss. It's a grieving process. So the process that I refer to is not the typical one, Kubler-Ross, that we hear about so often, the six steps. The one that I preferred is by Bowlby and Parks, who researched grieving in children. And I picked that process because it seemed to be more aligned with the bullying that accompanies firing. So the first phase of that is shock and numbness. And we've just talked a lot about how that feels when you're just shocked and you're numb. You don't know what to do. The second is yearning and searching. And when you were displaced from your organization, yearning becomes, it can become a major force in your day-to-day life. And I don't mean yearning to get back, though that may be, you know, in that underground river of emotions. What I mean is you yearn for news about the organization. You yearn to hear, well, what are they doing about my replacement? Who's coming in? How did they handle it? You know, at the same time that you can envision, you know, the regular management meeting, they're all piling into the into the room and you're not there. And you, you yearn, what did they say? It's kind of, and you're searching for answers. Why did this happen? Why did this happen to me? When was my fate decided? All of these things that sort of come to come together in that bullion base of emotions that we talked about earlier. And then there's the disorientation and disorganization phase where, okay, you're over the searching for answers, but now how do you orient yourself toward what? How do you organize your days? How do you organize your times? And I talk about women that, you know, so used to creating schedules and spreadsheets, they might fire up the uh, the holiday list in August. Just, okay, I can do that. Or they make a spreadsheet of all the recruiters they're going to talk to. It's a comfort food to organize yourself and your routine. And finally, there's reorganization and resolution. When you can reorganize your way of thinking, you can reorganize your time, and you can resolve, you come to a resolution about how you're going to move forward and how you're not going to look back in a way that's painful to you. You've rewritten the script in your head. And usually the follow-up question to that is, how long does it take? Uh, The answer is longer than you think. And it is not a fast process by any means. And to give some sort of time horizon that two of the women that I caught up with after I wrote the book, because I do follow up with them, it's been about three years, three years for them to get into a place where they are so happily powerful in their new roles. Yeah, One of the questions um, that I often ask guests on my shows is how long did it take for you to feel like you reach sustainability in your business. And I would say, this is not a statistical average, but I would say sort of the common answer is about two years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And one of the pieces of advice that I give to professionals when they are, when they decide that their next move after a long 
career as an employee is to be a consultant is make sure that you have access to cash as much as possible. Right. Because the biggest killer of a new business, any kind of business, whether it's consulting or anything else, is lack of cash. And it will take you longer than you expect in most cases. Right. And I I assume that even in writing this book and adding consulting-related services to this book, I realized early on that um, you have to get used to spending that money, even if you have the cash. You have to get used to hiring people. You have to get used to to making the business uh, a business and not just a side gig in your mind. And so even when you change jobs, one of the things that uh, a few of the women talked about was that financial sustainability. And one of the women in the book, the reason she stayed too long at a job that she had outgrown was because the last time she left, she had $40 in her pocket. And what she decided to do after that was to really build up her financial portfolio so that she could be in a position of freedom and also making mistakes. You make a lot of mistakes, a lot of trial and error in a new business. You know, you have to have that financial confidence to continue to go forward if you're dedicated to making it work. You definitely do. And speaking of going forward, so Robin, you have now left your last position uh, voluntarily and you right. have you've written this, what I think is a really groundbreaking book, Involuntary Exit. What's next for you? So I am going to continue to promote the book. I just started. It was released on October 19th, published by She Writes Press. And uh, I was so thrilled. I had over 100 people at the virtual book launch. So that that's a good sign. But I know that's only the beginning. So I have to continue to promote and sell the book and will be at various management conferences and leadership conferences and women's conferences to do that. At the same time, uh, I have offered to consult two women and men. I counsel men, too, who are in this position and really need some help in navigating this to their own success. And I've I've done that already uh, with a few clients and I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled that I don't hear from them anymore because they are grounded now. They've got their feet on the ground. They're They're over that hump. So that's a big part of what I'm looking forward to going, going ahead. And, you know, David, I'm also still consulting for nonprofits as a fundraising expert. I've raised a lot of money in my life. And uh, as I said to somebody, you know, I've had the opportunity to master the whole vertical of an organization from, you know, the operations into, you know, asking celebrity CEOs and billionaires for, for funds. You know, I enjoy that. So both of those things are in my wheelhouse going forward. It's pretty exciting. It sounds very exciting. Robin, if someone wants to go deeper with anything that you shared today or learn more, access any resources you may have, get a copy of your book, where would be the best place for them to go? Theprofessionalguide.com is my site. Theprofessionalguide.com. They can go there. They can also follow me on LinkedIn and Instagram and Facebook. Sounds great. Well, Robin, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us today on Going Solo and share your insights. My guest today has been author Robin Merrill. Thank you again, Robin, for joining us. Thank you, David. It's a pleasure, just a pleasure to speak with you. 
When you visit the Going Solo website, you'll find a summary of each episode along with the links we mentioned on the show. When you've suddenly left your job, having a new routine that can support your life as a consultant is critical to your success. Being a member of a community that has a built-in routine can be very helpful. Inside the Smashing the Plateau community, you'll find activities and events that happen consistently and frequently. You'll also have access to a range of tools and resources to support your business, access to experts, answers to your burning questions, and the camaraderie of supportive collaborative colleagues. Check out the Smashing the Plateau community so that you can build a successful consulting business on your own terms, doing what you love and getting paid what you're worth. Learn more at smashingtheplateau.com slash community. That's smashingtheplateau.com slash community. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode.